0: For us who know God, our thanks is always addressed to our God, even our Father. Our God as creator, sustainer, and our Father by redemption.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with Part 7 of The Holy Spirit's Influence. Are you someone that's known for thankfulness and gratitude? What does it really mean to give thanks in all things? And have you ever wondered why the Bible places such a high priority on thankfulness? Well, throughout our series in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we're exploring the three primary evidences in the life of a person under the influence of the Spirit and the Word. Today, Tom presents the second evidence, a consistent pattern of thankfulness. And Tom, thankfulness can too often become a trait easily disregarded and kind of taken for granted, but it really is a key mark of the Spirit's work, isn't it? You know, it really is.
0: And while unbelievers can express some degree of thankfulness, that's why we have a, a day called Thanksgiving. They're thankful for material things, although often those those points of gratitude are not expressed to God, the one to whom they owe those things. But for the kind of thankfulness Paul is talking about here, it's thankfulness that's rooted ultimately in the work of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in what God has done for us in and through His Son. And that is ultimately an expression of a Spirit-influenced heart. So I would just encourage you to day, as we study this text together, that you would take the truth of God and let it
1: be a spiritual thermometer for your spiritual health. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher to discover more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed.
0: When I was in college, I minored in English initially, and um, I took several courses in the great writers of the Western world. One of them was studying the works of John Milton, another one was studying the works of William Shakespeare. And I read uh, over the process of that semester and really the years that followed, and eventually saw many of Shakespeare's greatest plays. Really a profound thinker and writer, observer of men. And a number of scenes from that study still stand out in my mind, a number of scenes from some of William Shakespeare's plays. One of them is from the tragedy of Julius Caesar. You're familiar with the story, if not the play, Julius Caesar was assassinated by one of his close friends, a man named Brutus, and he cries out in response as he realizes what's happening, et tu, Brute? You too, Brutus? You're part of the plot? And then As he's been stabbed by his friend Brutus, and the reality of that begins to sink into Julius Caesar's mind, the the reality of his death begins to dawn and his life begins to fade, Shakespeare describes that moment of time like this in response to his friend Brutus stabbing him. This was the most unkindest cut of all. For when the noble Caesar saw him stab ingratitude more strong than traitors arms quite vanquished him then burst his mighty heart and in his mantle muffling up his face even at the base of Pompey's statue which all the while ran blood great Caesar fell in that moment as he realized what was happening that he was being killed by his friend the thing that struck him most was the base ingratitude After all he had done for this man, after all that he had poured into his life, Shakespeare has him recounting in those final fleeting moments the amazing act of ingratitude that it was. One of the greatest sins humans can commit against other humans is the sin of ingratitude. And yet, by how much greater order of magnitude is the sin that we commit when we fail to give God thanks? In Romans chapter 1, Paul indicts every human being for this failure. In Romans 1, he says this, talking about all unregenerate mankind, he says, even though they knew God, that is, God had made himself known, he had displayed himself in the creation, he had written his law within the hearts of every man, nevertheless, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, nor did they give thanks. He puts thanksgiving to God on an equal par with the failure to give glory to God. Failing to give Him thanks is as high an act of treason and rebellion as failing to give glory to our Creator. Because in a sense, they are one in the same. We fail to give God thanks because we have fallen rebellious hearts that will not express His glory or the debt we owe to Him. Because we have this sense of entitlement that springs from an inflated sense of our own self-worth. We deserve the things we get. When we manifest that attitude, it's obvious we have no sense at all of what we really deserve from God. As Jeremiah wrote, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint about anything that happens in his life in view of his sins? Anything good we get is an expression of grace All we deserve is God's eternal wrath. But we fail to give him glory. We fail to give him glory by giving him thanks because of our fallen sinful hearts. We grumble, we complain about our lives and our circumstances and our jobs and the people around us. We crave what he has not given us instead of giving him the constant overflow of thanksgiving for what he has. That's what comes natural. But according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, the Christian who is living under the influence of God's Word and God's Spirit will have a genuine spirit of gratitude in his heart, and he will express that gratitude in heartfelt thanks to God. Where the Spirit is in control, there will be a heart of thanksgiving. Just to remind you of the flow of the Apostles' thought here, we're in a section where Paul is telling us that if we're going to walk worthy of our calling, we have to walk in biblical wisdom. And the primary way of walking in biblical wisdom is, in verse 18, being filled by the Spirit, allowing the Spirit, as we studied together and understood, allowing the Spirit to fill you with a deep, illuminating understanding of the Word of God so that you're under the control of the teaching of the Scripture. And ultimately, that means under the influence and control of the Spirit who inspired it. When we are under the influence of the Spirit like that, there are definite effects and consequences in our lives. In fact, in verses 19 to 21, we learn that there are three primary consequences of being under the influence of the Spirit. In verse 19, a love for God-centered music. In verse 20, a pattern of thankfulness. And in verse 21, a heart of submission. Where the Word is filling the heart under the influence of the Spirit, these will be the inevitable consequences. And they are, at the same time, virtues and goals that every Christian should pursue. Today I want to look at the second consequence or result of being filled by the Spirit with the Word. It is a pattern of thanksgiving. A pattern of thanksgiving. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Notice giving thanks, this verse, is not a sentence in and of itself. And giving thanks is a participle that modifies the main verb of the sentence, which is all the way back at the end of verse 18. Be filled In other words then, thanksgiving is another one of those byproducts, it's another one of those consequences of a life under the influence of the Spirit and the Word. Where there is a person filled by the Spirit with the Word, there will be thanksgiving. I love the way John Stott says it, the grumbling Spirit is not compatible with the Holy Spirit. They don't go together. Now, as we work our way through this verse, I want us to ask and answer a series of questions. The first question I want us to look at together is why? Why should we give thanks? Here, we're told it's a natural outflow of being filled by the Spirit. In other places, we're commanded to do it. Why should we give thanks? Well, let me just give you a couple of biblical reasons to consider. Number one, ingratitude is a terrible sin against God. Ingratitude is a terrible sin against God. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, listen to how Jesus describes ingratitude, what he compares it to. He's talking about God being generous and good with all people, even those who are his enemies. He says, for he himself, speaking of God, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Wow. He puts together evil as a description of mankind with the description ungrateful. Because ingratitude is one of the manifestations of human evil. We already saw in Romans 1 verse 21, when Paul indicts all of humanity for their sin against God, he says, they didn't glorify God, neither were they thankful. You ever thought about your failing to give God thanks, rising to that level in 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul says they're going to come worse and worse times as the end approaches. And in those times, he says, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. Pretty terrible list to have ingratitude included in. Ingratitude is a terrible sin against God. That's why we ought to manifest gratitude. There's a second reason why, and that's because Scripture assigns it a high value in God's economy. Scripture assigns a high value to thanksgiving. Let me just show you a couple of passages. Turn back to Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 23. Psalm 50, a Psalm of Asaph. And in verse... 23, he ends the psalm with these words, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, that may be a reference to the thank offering, which was one of the peace offerings listed in early chapters of Leviticus, an actual sacrifice. More likely, however, he's talking about offering thanks to God, expressing thanks to God. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving, watch this, honors me. When we offer thanks to God, we honor God as the giver of all things, as the source of all good. Turn over a few pages to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 in verse 30, David writes, I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with. With thanksgiving, I'm going to magnify God with my offering of thanks. And watch verse 31, and it, that is my thanksgiving, will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hooves. In other words, better than a literal sacrifice, my sacrifice of thanksgiving will please him more, and it will magnify God. It'll let myself and others see God in the greatness that he possesses. Psalm 86, you see it again. Verse 12, David writes, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. Now, the nature of Hebrew poetry is such that the lines don't end with rhyme. It's not based on rhyme. Hebrew poetry is based on parallelism. And so often there's what's called synonymous parallelism. That is, one line says says something. The second line says it the same thing, but in slightly different words. That's what you have here. You can put an equal sign between these two lines. So in other words, to give thanks to God with all your heart is to glorify his name, to glorify his character, to magnify him. Wow. You and I, when we offer thanksgiving, glorify God, honor God, we magnify God, and he, he takes delight in our thanksgiving more than, in the Old Testament times, literal sacrifices. There's another reason why we should offer to God our thanksgiving. Not only because scripture assigns a high value to it, not only because ingratitude's a terrible sin, but because God commands it. God commands thanksgiving, Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. But let's turn to the New Testament. I want you to see the priority this plays in the life of the New Testament believer. Colossians chapter three. This is the parallel passage to the one we're studying in Ephesians five. And notice in three verses place, in the space of three verses, Paul three times tells us to be thankful. Verse 15, Colossians three. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful And then he enters verse 16, the parallel to be filled with the Spirit. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name or in the authority of the Lord Jesus. And as you do it, whatever you do, give thanks through him to God the Father. So we're commanded to do this. Probably the most famous passage is 1 Thessalonians 5.18, where Paul says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time and energy trying to find God's will. Well, here's God's will, in everything Give thanks to God. It honors him, it exalts him, it magnifies him. He is pleased with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So it's a high priority. That's why. Let's answer a second question. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter five, verse 20. Let's look in the text itself. The second question we need to ask is what? What does it mean to give thanks? What does it mean to give thanks? Well, notice Paul says giving thanks thanks. That's one Greek word, not two. The word is the word from which we get the word Eucharist. It's Eucharisteo. It means to give thanks. The basic idea of the word is two elements. To acknowledge benefits received, to acknowledge that I have received benefits and blessings from God, and secondly, to express true gratitude for those benefits to acknowledge that I've received these benefits from God, and to express to God true gratitude for them. Hendrickson, William Hendrickson, the great commentator, points out in his commentary on this passage that for thanksgiving to be expressed to God requires three things. We must personally experience blessings from God. That's true of every person. Secondly, we must recognize that nothing we have done has merited or earned those blessings, In fact, we are completely unworthy of them. And thirdly, that those blessings we have received are huge and manifold and unending. And folks, where those three things are true, we will acknowledge the benefits we have received and we will express genuine gratitude to God. But if any one of those is missing, we won't. Well, the first one can't be missing because we've all received amazing blessings from God. So it's one of the second two. Either we don't recognize that we are unworthy of them and done nothing to merit or earn them, or we really don't see the magnitude of what God has done for us. William Hendrickson goes on to write, "'Gratitude is that which completes the circle, whereby blessings that drop down into the hearts and lives of believers return to the giver in the form of unending, loving, and spontaneous adoration.'" We acknowledge the blessings God has poured out in our lives and we express true gratitude for them. That's what Paul's referring to here. That brings us to a third question. When? When should we give thanks? Look at verse 20 again. Always giving thanks to God. Now, that doesn't mean that every waking moment we're to give thanks. That's impossible. There were times when Paul was praying or preaching the gospel to others. When Paul was preaching, he wasn't always giving thanks. So what does it mean? By always, he means constantly. He means it ought to be a constant pattern of our lives. It ought to be part of who we are, part of every day of our lives. In fact, let me give you a little more specific insight into this. If you look in Scripture at when thanksgiving was offered in the lives of both Old and New Testament saints, Here are a few examples. This is what he means by always. Before mealtime is an obvious one. You know, there's a preacher of a well-known church here in our area, in this case a preacher I respect, who once said, and I remember hearing him say, it doesn't matter if you thank God for your food before your meal. In fact, that's just become a tradition. Well, it's true. It can easily become something we don't mean, but that doesn't mean it isn't important. If you look at the New Testament, every time Jesus is captured eating in the New Testament, he's giving thanks before he eats. Listen, here's one example. John 6, 11, Jesus took the loaves, this is the feeding of the 4,000, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. He does the same thing at the Last Supper. He does the same thing on other occasions. Paul does this, Acts 27, 35. Paul's on the boat, you remember, they're contemplating what's gonna happen. Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and then he broke it and they began to eat. Romans 14, 6, he who eats, talking about now questionable things, whether you can eat things sacrificed to idols or not. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. First Timothy 4 says, everything, all the food God made, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. That was part of the life of the people of God throughout the scriptures. Another example is daily in private worship. What did he mean by always? Well, before the meals, that's one place. But daily in private worship. I love the window we have into Daniel's life in Daniel chapter 6. You remember the story, of course, the edict is passed, his enemies are trying to get him. And it says this in Daniel 6.10. Once he knew that the document was signed, he entered his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Three times a day, Daniel set aside time to get alone with God in private worship, and part of that was to offer to God his thanks. This was part of his daily life, part of his daily worship. It should be for you and me as well when we set aside that time To be with the Lord, our hearts ought to be filled and overflowing with thanks to God. It should be in all our prayers. Every time you pray, your prayer should include thanksgiving. This is what Paul says, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, we're always saying, God, give me, give me, give me. But our prayers are supposed to be, thank you. Thank you, thank you at the same time. Colossians 4.2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. In all our prayers, there is to be thanksgiving going back to God. It's to be a part of the corporate worship, thanksgiving is. Psalm 35.18, I will give you thanks in the great congregation among a mighty throng. At the temple, in the temple worship, there were those choirs you remember we talked about last time. And they were assigned the purpose in David's time, in Solomon's time, in Hezekiah's time when the worship was recovered, as well as in the the time of the exiles returning in Nehemiah's time. In all of those cases, we're told, they were assigned to sing in order to give thanks to God. It was part of the corporate worship, to thank God. But let's go to the New Testament church. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 14. Now, I'm not gonna get into the major issue here, which is the issue of tongues. Suffice it to say that the Corinthians were abusing the New Testament gift of speaking in tongues, which was nothing other than the ability to speak in a language that they had not studied. That's what happened at Pentecost. Read it carefully in Acts 2. That's what it is every other time it occurs throughout the flow of the New Testament. They were abusing that because they were using that gift in the public worship, the corporate worship, when there was nobody there who understood that language and there was nobody there to interpret it. It was all about them and their gift. But what I want you to see is what was part of the public worship, the corporate worship of the New Testament church as well. Look down in verse 16. When you bless in the Spirit only, that is when there's nobody to interpret, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. If you're giving thanks to God, which was obviously here a part of the first century worship, the corporate worship of the church, and other people don't understand you, it's not benefiting them, it's not building them up. That's his point. But the point I want you to see is that the giving of thanks was part of the first century corporate worship.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 7 of his current series, The Holy Spirit's Influence. Tom will have Part 8 for you on our next broadcast, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at one eight seven seven five seven seven word And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that